Uh, we have arrived at a Revelation chapter 15, and we're going to try tonight to cover chapters 15 and 16. Uh, chapter 15 is a, what I think of as a bridge chapter. In chapter 15, you're going to be shown a group of people. They were martyrs. They lost their lives for the cause of Christ during the period of the tribulation. And uh, you see them in heaven. They're standing on the sea. And what's important is you see them standing. That's the position of victory. They may have, the world may have thought that they had defeated them. They had knocked them back and knocked them down. But the reality was they were walking in victory. And, and they're wanting to know, when is the rest of God's vengeance and God's judgment going to be poured out? And he begins doing that in chapter 16. When you get to chapter 16, you, you see the seven last angels uh, that are going to pour out the judgment, the final judgments. We've already had the seal judgments. There were seven of those. We had the trumpet judgments. There were seven of those. But these last seven, uh, these uh, are called the bowl judgments. And uh, the judgment of God, the wrath of God that's swirling in that bowl is going to be poured out on mankind. And you read about that in chapter 16. And it moves along pretty quickly. Because chapter 16, in the, these last seven judgments that you read about, um, they happen very quickly. While the previous 14 sometimes had breaks in between, there were pauses in between, uh, these final seven really happened very, very quickly. So we'll begin in chapter 15, verse 1, in this what I call a bridge chapter that takes us over to the last judgments that are going to be poured out. Verse 1, then I saw another sign. Let me just stop there and tell you, this is the third sign. There had been two previous. We're not going to go back and review those. There had been two signs previous. This is the third sign that we're seeing, and this third sign is going to be these seven angels. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Here's the sign. Seven angels having the, the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. What you can see by what he's saying here, it's complete. The wrath of God is complete. When these judgments are poured out, it's going to be time for the end to come. My judgment will have been excised against mankind, and it's going to be that Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom eventually or ultimately. And so he's just telling you that these seven angels are coming. Verse 2, and I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. By the way, fire has, is the symbol of judgment. Uh, is the symbol of trials and tribulations and the symbol of judgment. And these have, that, are, that you're going to read about here have gone through the trials and the tribulations. They died as martyrs during the tribulation. And the fire represents the judgment that's about to come. God's about to ex exercise this judgment. He says, I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast. Did the beast think he had the victory? When he killed him, he didn't. When he had them killed, he did. They had, but they had the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing. That's the, that's the position of victory. Standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. Now, these are people who came to faith in Jesus, either by the witness of other Christians, or by the 144,000 that have been preaching the gospel, or by the two witnesses uh, that we read about. Uh, they were preaching the gospel. They came to faith in Jesus and they lose their lives as martyrs. But the reality is they're standing in heaven in victory. Uh, you know, going to heaven is not a loss. It's a victory, right? 
Uh, and they're standing in that place in victory. They've been through the fire of trials and tribulations, and, and now the fire of God's judgment is about to be exercised against mankind. And he just wants you to see that these who lost their lives are people of victory. And what do they do? They break out into a song, verses 3 and 4. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall, who shall not fear you, O, o Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. What are they doing? They're singing praise to God. Uh, the Lord is alone worthy and deserving of that kind of praise. And they're singing these songs of praise uh, to God. By the way, uh, you know, ultimately, everybody's going to have to bow the knee and acknowledge that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You do know that, don't you? That's, that's the case. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, verse, verse 5 of chapter 15. After these things, after seeing this victorious band of people who were singing the praises of God, after these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. Now, I think what he's telling you here is that there is a temple in heaven, a tabernacle in heaven, after which the earthly one was patterned. Did you get that? The Bible appears to teach here that there is a heavenly tabernacle after which the earthly one was patterned. You remember in the book of Hebrews, it talks about Jesus going into the Holy of Holies, going into the throne room of God, taking the blood of his sacrifice. Isn't that what they did on the, in the earthly temple, in the earthly tabernacle? So there is apparently, as you're looking in verse 5, a heavenly, that's the model temple, the model tabernacle after which these earthly ones were designed. Verse 6, and out of the temple came the seven angels. Here they come. Going to pour out these final seven judgments. The seven angels having the seven plagues. They're clothed in pure, bright linen and having their chest girded with golden bands. In other words, they're sort of dressed in a priestly looking garb. They have an ephod kind of a look uh, where they're wearing a, uh, the breastplate and they're, they're dressed in this gown that looks like they are. Uh, priests. They're coming out to represent God, to exercise the will of God and the judgment of God. Verse 7 and 8, then one of the four living creatures. He doesn't tell us which one of the four. We've met these four creatures before, but one of the four gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God. You know, I used to wonder why we had a smoke machine sometimes for some of our events. And, you know, people ask you, why do you have a smoke machine? Well, there's going to be one in heaven, apparently. Okay, you'll get that later. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. You get it? One of these four creatures gives to these seven angels that are the last of the three signs, seven bowls, one to each angel that has the wrath of God poured out in it, and it's about to be unleashed, these final judgments, um, these final judgments, these plagues that are going to come on mankind. 
Boy, there's so much here that I could tell you about, but we're going to move right on into chapter 16. Because now we're into the chapter where you're toward the last part of the tribulation. Uh, You may only be months away, or you may just be uh, a year and a half away, but you're, you're within the last, very last period of the tribulation. How long does the tribulation last? By the way, let's start back. Let's just go back. We're living in the church age. What's the next thing to occur? The rapture of the church. I heard a, I heard a man, that I, I listened to it tonight. I wish I hadn't listened to it before I came to church. A well-known man said he didn't believe in the rapture that was made up in the 1900s which he obviously doesn't understand or hasn't followed far enough to know what the history of it is. And besides, Martin Luther recovered justification by faith. It was lost in the church. So if it was ever lost, the rapture was ever lost, it was recovered. That would be the extent of it. But the reality is the rapture goes all the way back to 1 Thessalonians. It goes all the way back to the writings of the Apostle Paul. Did I make my point? I'm not a scholar. I've never claimed to be a scholar. I just don't agree with every scholar. Uh, there's the rapture of the church. And what happens after the rapture of the church? There may be a short break in time, but very shortly after the rapture of the church, seven years of tribulation on earth. The first half, uh, the first three and a half years is called the tribulation. The second half is called the great tribulation. There'll be the rise of the Antichrist. Uh, he'll come as a a man of peace, but in the middle of that seven years, he'll break that peace and he'll demand to be worshiped. He'll require everybody to take the mark of the beast. And if they don't bow down to him, he'll kill them. They'll be destroyed. And during those years, those seven years, there are judgments. God is pouring out his judgments, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and now the bowl judgments. Verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast. So who gets punished? Anybody who has taken the mark of the beast. You couldn't buy or sell without the mark of the beast. I mean, to be able to live with the tribulation without the mark of the beast means that you had to find things on the black market somewhere. If you're going into a store and you're going to buy in the traditional fashion, you've got to have the mark of the beast. And those who have the mark of the beast are the ones who were targeted by this first bold judgment because they worshiped his image. And they have this, uh, this foul and loathsome sore. The word foul means painful. The Greek word means painful. The word loathsome means malignant. So you think about this. It's very reminiscent, isn't it, of something that took place in Egypt uh, in the sores that were a part of the judgment and a part of the punishment that God exercised against Pharaoh. And in this very first bowl judgment, those who've taken the mark of the beast have to deal with these sores, these malignant sores that are growing all over their body. Can you imagine how horrible that is? Verse 3, then the second angel poured out his bowl. See how quickly this goes? The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea. Hey, you remember back in Revelation 8, we already saw a third of the sea that experienced the judgment of God. Now the whole sea experiences the judgment of God. And how is it? It became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Do you believe that's literal, preacher? I absolutely do. 
Unless the Bible indicates it's not literal, literal uh, I believe it's literal. Uh, every creature in the sea dies. Can you imagine the ecological problems that that creates? Can you imagine the difficulty that, that uh, for the food chain supply? Do you eat fish? My wife's favorite food is fish. My favorite food is steak. <laughs> I'm just telling y'all so you know for Christmas. I just, we're available if you want to take us out. We're, we're available. Um, uh, you know, where, where are you going to get the fish? I mean, it's, it's an economic disaster. It's an ecological disaster. Verse 4. Verses four, verse 4 to 7 tell us about the third bowl. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers. Now we move from the saltwater bodies to the freshwater bodies. What did we learn in Revelation 8? Already a third of the freshwater bodies have been, have been, uh, have been judged by God. Now all of them will be judged. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. By the way, you're going to know in a minute why God turns them into blood. You want to take a guess? Don't, not out loud. We'll take a guess. And so he pours out this judgment onto the fresh waters. And there is, again, this destruction of everything that, that is in it. The water is polluted. It turns into some kind of a blood-like substance. And why does God do this? Verses 5 to 7, And I heard the angel of the waters saying, you are righteous, O Lord. In other words, is God right to do this? Absolutely, he's right to do this. The one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. God is right. Hey, can I just tell you, God is right in every judgment he makes. You and I are not. I certainly am not. But every judgment God makes is always right. And that he's pouring out his judgment. How long has he been waiting? Well, if he came today, it's been 2,000 years, right? I mean, he waited 400 years while the children of Israel were in Egypt for the wickedness of the, of the Canaanites to rise to that level where he would bring his own people against them to destroy them. He was patient. He was long-suffering. It's been 2,000 years thus far. I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is, who was, who is to be, because you have judged these things for. Here's the reason why everything's turned to blood. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. For it is their just due. They are receiving what they rightfully deserve. Aren't you thankful for God's grace? You understand during the tribulation, grace, for the most part, grace, grace is still in the tribulation, but not like it is today. Grace is removed. And they're getting what they justly deserve. Aren't you thankful we don't get what we justly deserve? For I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. What God is doing is right that he's doing it. He alone can make that kind of a righteous judgment. You and I cannot. Then there's the fourth bowl, verses 8 and 9. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. Uh-oh. Uh, you remember earlier? 
that there was a judgment poured out on the sun and it diminished in its light. It's going to do the opposite here. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. Um, I don't know how God's going to do that. He might do that by some depletion of the ozone layer. Aren't you thankful for the ozone layer that diffuses the light? Now, some of you scientists can describe all that. I'm a theologian. I'm not a scientist. But you know how the ozone layer diffuses the light and keeps it from burning us up? We're not an inch too close to the sun. We're not an inch too far from the sun. We're right where we need to be. Maybe that's the way it happened, or maybe it's just simply God doing something supernatural. He's done enough other supernatural things during the tribulation period, hasn't he? He doesn't have any problem. He has no problem whatsoever doing the supernatural. But in some fashion, he turns up the heat of the sun. And today I would have taken it. (laughs) And men were scorched with great heat. And and what what do they do? Here they are. They've They've been almost seven years. They've been, let's say, six years, six and a half years. They've been, they've been going through this one cataclysmic event after another. They've been watching what has unfolded in the political realm all across the world. They've had to submit themselves to getting the mark of the beast. And, and they've watched people being martyred. And you have to you wonder, you know, don't you, don't you get it? I mean, can't you wake up and see what's going on? And they did not repent and give him glory. How hard can mankind's heart be? By the way, once you take the mark of the beast, your eternal destiny is sealed forever. You'll read that here in a little while. It's sealed forever. But how hard must the hearts of man be that when they see the judgment of God falling, do you know what people are going to be doing in hell? I think there are going to be many people in hell that are going to be cursing the name of God. They're going to be shaking their fist in his face when he had extended them grace over and over and over and over and they resisted his grace and they received his judgment instead. They still will be so hard-hearted that all they do is curse his name. How sad. Their hearts have become that hardened. Then the fifth angel, verses 10 and 11. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Now we go right to the seat of political power. We go right to the seat of the Antichrist. In other words, this has been on the creation. It's been on the waters. Uh, They themselves have had sores that are malignant that are growing on them. Uh, There's all kinds of ecological problems. There's economic problems that are everywhere. Talk about a supply chain problem. That's going to be a supply chain problem. And then the angel comes to pour out this fifth bowl, and he goes right to the seat of power, the political power of the day, the power of the beast. And his kingdom became full of darkness. You remember a plague like that in Pharaoh's, in Pharaoh's day? Darkness. You ever been in total darkness? Most of you, I think, probably have experienced it one time or another. Mary and I experienced it down in Grayson in one of those caves. And they take you deep into those caves and they, 
And, you know, they walk you along those little narrow hallways back into an open room where there's some, there's some water pouring from somewhere. You can barely make it out. And they close the door behind you. That's never a good sign. And, um, and then they say, you want to feel like what total darkness is like? And they turn out the light and you can't see a thing. It, you can feel the darkness. That's what he's talking about. This fifth angel comes and pours out the wrath that's in that bowl and all of the other ecological and economic problems, all the cataclysmic things that have been going on. I mean, everything, the, the, everything that's been happening, I mean, now they're in total darkness. They've gone from sun that was burning them up to being in a place of complete darkness. Does God have any problem doing that? He created the light to begin with. He created the sun to begin with. He has no problem with that. God can do any of those things. And what do they do? They nod their tongues because of the pain. It is so dark. And all the other things going on, the pain is so great, they're chewing on their tongues. And what do they do? They turn to God and say, oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, please give me another opportunity. What do they do? And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. How terribly sad. Then the sixth bowl is poured out. See how quickly this is going? We're moving very quickly. Then the sixth angel poured out, verse 12, then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Uh, Euphrates is the border, if you will, should be the border of Israel, all the land of Israel. But when you go to the east of the Euphrates River, what do you, what do you have? You got, uh, you got Iran, you got Iraq. Uh, when you go a little bit further, you got all those stand countries, you know, Uzbekistan and Pakistan, you got all the stand countries. You go beyond that, you got China and you got Russia up here a little bit sort of northeast. And you got China out here a little bit northeast. You got all these countries that are out here and God's about to do something. Are y'all with me? God's about to do something, the drying up of the river Euphrates. You know why that's necessary? What do you think the heat is going to do to the ice caps that are on Mount Ararat? It's going to melt it. It's going to send the water down the Euphrates. It's going to flood the riverbanks of the Euphrates. So the water's got to be dried up. There are dams today in the Euphrates River. They can actually lower. Have you seen, uh, have you been to, uh, what's in New York? goes over falls niagara falls (laughs) that's why i'm no scholar you can get you get it now don't you uh have you been to niagara falls have you ever seen them when they when they they alter the water levels i mean it's massive when all this water is pouring over but when they they alter it with those dams and suddenly it gets very low you can do that in the euphrates river But it's going to have to be dried up because the ice that was melted by this intense heat is going to flood that that uh, that valley where the where the Euphrates River is. Did I I get off subject here? I got off subject here. The angel poured his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. You, You see it coming. You see it coming. God is preparing the way for the kings of the east to be able to gather for what? The battle of Armageddon. He's opening the way for this all to occur. Now you say, how's he going to get all these kings to... 
How's he going to get all these kings, these rulers, these political leaders to come on board and to join their forces together to march over that dry riverbed of the Euphrates and to fight against Israel? How's he going to do that? Well, he's going to tell you in a minute. Again, I'm, I'm ahead of myself. Verse 13, and I saw three unclean spirits. Now, these are demonic spirits. Notice they are like, they're symbolic in the sense that they're like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dra dragon. In other words, they're able to do things. Uh, these unclean spirits are able to do miraculous things coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. That's the unholy trinity. That's the false prophet. That's the antichrist. That's Satan himself. Those three, those three characters, the unholy trinity. And what's coming out of their mouths? These demonic spirits that can do miraculous kinds of things. He goes on, performing signs, for they are spirits of demons, performing signs, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. In other words, how do you get that many uh, in, into the valley where the battle is going to take place? How, many, how do you get that many people amassed on the other side of the river Euphrates so that they can march across the dry riverbed and move toward Jerusalem? How do you do that? The demonic spirits do that. I might just stop here. Do you see that the demonic spirits perform signs? You do realize that Satan can perform uh, miraculous-looking kinds of events y'all do know that don't you yes. not everything that you see happening is God doing it and here's a case where uh, out of the mouth of uh, the unholy trinity come these demonic spirits which is able to deceive the kings of the nations and rouse them to the place where they want to join forces together and gather on the east side of the Euphrates river to prepare themselves for what will ultimately be the battle of Armageddon But initially, they come to overthrow the Antichrist himself. Verse 15, behold, I'm coming as a thief. The Lord says, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. He stops for a moment and he says to those who are believers who are still living during the tribulation, now's the time for you to make sure you're watching what you do. Now's the time for you to make sure you're paying careful attention because when you see these particular things occurring, when you see these nations amassing over here on the east side of the Euphrates River, when you see these armies coming together and you see the Antichrist stirring up something that causes them to gather, well, what's happening uh, uh, in Russia today and uh, what's the country there, amassed right next to the border? Ukraine. What's happening today? Something very similar is what he's talking about here. The Antichrist, uh, Satan himself, the false prophet are doing some kind of miraculous signs that's stirring up these nations and they're amassing along the border. They're getting ready for a great battle. First of all, they think it's going to be with the Antichrist himself, but Antichrist is going to turn their attention to Jesus when he begins to come. They think they're going to fight against him, but that's never a good thing to do, Right? So the Lord says to everybody who is still a believer and still live, living, who hasn't taken the mark of the beast, look, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is the one who's watching, paying attention. 
you know, pay attention. Keep your garments clean. Keep your garments ready. Verse 16, and they gathered them. That's these demonic spirits coming out of the mouths of the unholy trinity. They gathered them to the, together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Armageddon means the hill of Megiddo or the place of slaughter. It's the plain of Megiddo. It's also nearby uh, that plain is the plain of Esdraelon. They're about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. And there's an area there of 175 to 200 miles in length between these two valleys, the hill of Megiddo and the, the um, the plain of Megiddo and the plain of Esdraelon, about 175 to 200 miles of area where armies can amass, they can gather together, and it'll be the site where uh, there's going to be a great battle that takes place. We're not going to get to that tonight, by the way. Verse 17, then the, seven, uh, then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it's done. I've poured out my judgment. I've given men the opportunity to turn from their wicked ways and to repent of their evil deeds and put their faith in my son. It's done. The judgment is completed. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and there was a great earthquake. Now notice, notice, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. This is going to be an earthquake unlike any other because it's going to rearrange the topography of the earth and especially in Jerusalem. Notice at verse 19. Now the great city, because of this earthquake, was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. That's what the earthquake did to the other nations. In Jerusalem, in Judea, it's divided into three parts. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Now listen, then every island fled away and the mountains were not found. Do you get what's happening? And do you remember reading, if you haven't read, in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, not only is Jerusalem divided into three sections, which, by the way, has a positive effect. It's, there's something good that, that's being done to accomplish. When Jesus comes, to what mountain does he come? He comes to the Mount of Olives. And what happens to the Mount of Olives? Zechariah 14, 4. What happens to the Mount of Olives? It splits. And a river of water will flow out. And it says that the desert will begin to blossom. The desert, the water will start flowing out to the desert and the desert will bloom. In other words, something really good's about to happen. It isn't going to happen until after this final battle, but God's already rearranged the topography to put everything in place for everything to work as he intends it to work when his kingdom comes. Verse 21. One last thing. And you ain't never seen, you ain't, excuse my Georgia English, you ain't never seen, you ain't never seen hail falling from the sky like this. And great hail from heaven fell upon men. Think, think about that. I mean, we've got sores that are malignant. We've got heat that scorches you. 
No air conditioner can keep up with it. It's melting the ice caps. It's flooding the riverbanks. You've got cataclysmic things that have been going on in the heavens around you. You've got ecological disaster occurring. You've got economic disaster occurring everywhere. Wait a minute. That sort of sounds like America today, doesn't it? I better stay away from that. I'll stay off of that subject. Ecological and economic disaster that's going on everywhere. And then to top it all off, there's these hailstones falling from the sky. Now, are you familiar with hail? Our son and daughter-in-law had two cars in Texas. They went to Ireland for a a little week-long trip a few years back. And while they were gone, they had a hailstorm in Texas and totaled both vehicles. They weren't that big. Notice the size of these hail, this hail is falling. Every hailstone weighed about the weight of a talent. And you know what a talent is? That's between 100 and 200 pounds. And, and what do men do? <laughs> I'm not laughing because I think it's funny. I'm laughing because it's so sad. I mean, it's just unbelievably sad. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. I've never seen a cloud big enough to handle 100 to 200 pound hail. I don't know what that cloud will look like or if God even needs a cloud for that to occur. But I can tell you that if you saw one of those hailstones hurling its way towards you, well... That would be horrible. And aren't you thankful? We'll be gone before all that happens. Hey, we're moving towards some good things. In January, what we're going to learn is that once the battle of Armageddon takes place, that God's going to set up his kingdom. And you know what earth was intended to be? It's going to be. And there's going to be peace on earth. You know, when it says Jesus was born and there was peace on earth... Well, there's never been peace on earth because Jesus hasn't come to establish his kingdom yet. He came to the Jewish people, but they rejected him. And he became the savior of the world as a result. But he's coming one day to establish his kingdom on earth. He'll rule over the nation of Israel and over the nations of the earth. And there'll be peace everywhere. The lamb will lay down with the lion. That'd be pretty cool to watch, won't it? You can play with the poisonous snake. I don't think so. Mm, I don't think so. Uh, but you can play with the poisonous snake. No big deal. And he's going to rule and he's going to reign. By the way, we'll be in glorified bodies. We'll have access uh, to, uh, to the new Jerusalem. We'll have access in and out of the new Jerusalem. Hey, that's the reason you get saved solely by faith in the Lord Jesus, but you serve and you work because you get rewarded. And part of the rewards that you receive are the privilege of being able to rule and reign with Christ. In other words, he gives you responsibilities. He gives you tasks to do. You don't float on a cloud, you know, strumming a harp for the rest of eternity. You get to serve the Lord. You get to honor God. And differing responsibilities are given according to the different rewards that you have earned. That's why you want to be faithful. That's why you want to be honorable in your life. That's why you want to live to earn those rewards. You're going to have an opportunity to be a part of this kingdom and serve with him. Wouldn't that be really neat? When the thousand years is up and 
the great white throne judgment has occurred, then he's going to do what we all will look forward to. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And uh, there won't be any more sin in any of those. And um, it'll be what everybody has always dreamed the earth could be. You ever seen how beautiful our earth is? I mean, when we take care of it and we, you know, uh, you know, we don't destroy it and we, we enjoy it. Um, I mean, there are beautiful places in this plan, on this planet. Can you imagine when it's not under the curse of sin? And it's exactly like God intended it to be. That's where we're headed. Are you all with me? That's, that's where we're headed. That's where we're going to be by the time we get to the end of the Revelation, Revelation 22.